0: Good morning, and welcome to the Out of Grief podcast. This is Elizabeth Copeland with Hallie Williams. Hi, and we're here today talking to Laura Toma, who is a playwright and filmmaker extraordinaire, and you'll learn more about her in a second. But first, we want to thank a couple of our sponsors, including Humanities Washington, who provided a a, um, oh, thank you, Hallie, who, (laughs) who made this podcast possible in part by a major grant and along with not only Humanities Washington but also the National Endowment for the Humanities. Democracy demands wisdom and also I want to give a shout out to People's Memorial. This episode is sponsored also in part by People's Memorial Association helping advocate for and educating people around end-of-life planning in Washington. People's Memorial Association, founded in 1939, seeks to reduce challenges during the difficult time when a loved one dies. Visit peoplesmemorial.org to learn more. So, Hallie, talk with Laura. who oh, Wait a minute. Before you ask her questions, okay. I want to tell people that I've now known Laura personally for... A couple of years, Laura and I. That's my first
1: question. (laughs) Oh, good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We've been on a a, a couple of playwriting classes together with some pretty amazingly talented people. James Anthony, Tyler, for one, and many others. Uh, But it has always been such a pleasure to be in class with you, Laura, and I've always been in awe of your writing. So I'm so honored that you're here today. So now, Hallie. Take it away. Oh, you,
1: Elizabeth. <laughs> okay, well first of all, I wanna say thanks for being here. Um, of course. Also, I am, I am a student at this point learning about the playwright process from Elizabeth because she's a playwright. And ju- I, I guess it makes sense, like with singers, they have to practice or go to class to, to learn their craft. And in my mind, playwrights just magically have this ability and they write something and it's done. And so <laughs> yeah. it's always interesting to me when Elizabeth's like, I'm in class and so you two were in class together. We Several actually, different ones, yeah. I th-
2: yeah, I think that first one was James, James Anthony Tyler's class, mm. which was a character class.
1: It was a character mistaken. class, right. See, this yeah. is all right. fascinating to me. This is so much yeah. deeper than I give it
2: oh, thought to right? Yeah. I just,
1: I just enjoy the final product. So, okay, so you guys take classes <laughs> together. How did you get into this? Can you for, actually, I kind of know because I read your thing online and all, all that, but can you tell our listeners, how did you enter the playwright world, filmmaking worlds? How did this become Absolutely. your jam?
2: Yeah, well, I actually, I've been in theater my whole life. I started dancing when I was four. Oh. And I was professional dancer at 12. So I was I, I was classically trained in ballet, and then I wow. went on to musical theater. So I worked professionally as a dancer and performer um, until I was probably about 35 and I was injured.
1: Oh, my and goodness. And
2: I kind of had to make the decision of what to do. Yeah. <laughs> because it had right. been a long time and physically very challenging for me. I, at that point, I was also teaching and choreographing and performing regionally. Mm. And I decided to kind of walk away from theater. So I walked away from theater for about five years, which was crazy. It was the only time in my life I had never been around theater people for that long. And eventually I just missed it terribly um, and started doing solo show work. And that's where I started my writing. Um, I had no intention of becoming a playwright. And eventually it just kind of happened. And it actually happened around grief, strangely enough.
1: Okay, it happened on grief. So was your grief the injury or did something else happen? Or, I mean, you don't have to share your story if you oh, no. want to, Oh, no, and,
2: and that's... A, I love that question because nobody nobody ever applies grief to that. And yes, there was a lot of grief. Uh-huh. I, mean, I my identity was through dance, so I still consider uh-huh. myself a dancer. And yeah. the interesting thing about that is, like, I have a niece, She's never seen me dance, but that is, you know, that will always be a part of who I am. Yeah. <laughs> so right. there was a lot of grief around that, but then at the time, my mother was also dying, and mm-hmm. um, I, and once she passed, I spent, I really got into daily writing in a way I hadn't because it was just a way to anchor to myself. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, like I mm-hmm. said, I was working on a solo show, but then. I, there was an exercise about writing, I think, a direct address monologue or something, and this character, Annabelle Jones, showed up, and basically, she wouldn't leave. So, um, she is the reason I wrote my first full-length play, because she wouldn't leave me alone.
1: And is that Magpie?
2: That is not Magpie. It's a play called Yours and Words.
1: Yours and Words. Ooh. It's ba- Yeah, it's based in
2: 1895 in New York City, what? and it's a story of... Yeah, two uh, female writers. Okay, it's a queer play. It's okay, a, it's an epic play, and it's very. I'm still seeking development with this play because it's so big. It is. It's truly a big, old fashioned. What?
0: Play. Ooh. What Ooh, cool. that sounds cool. really cool? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, have I heard hey. excerpts from this show?
2: You know, that's a good question, Elizabeth. I don't. I don't think I don't you have. Oh. I don't remember the the classes. I don't think so.
0: I don't think I heard we this wrote one. So
2: many new things, like in James's classes, we were writing new things, right? I don't think you right. shared any of them I don't
0: think work. you yeah. shared that one. Um, the play that I loved. What was the one with the romance writer?
2: Oh, um, writer's block.
0: Writer's block. Yes, writer's yes. block. Have you done anything with more with that one?
2: It's it's had a few little productions, and now I'm I'm expanding it, oh, but correct. I haven't had the the time time. to sit with it that I need to to expand it. Oh, well,
0: definitely let us know when you do that one anywhere. Uh, And if it's open to the public, we'd love to promote it because I just love that play.
2: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I do too. I'm fascinated. I I, I miss actually being in class because you get so much from having other writers listen to your work and all that feedback was so helpful. Mm. And I have all my notes about that play. I just haven't had the time. you know to really sit with it. Okay, like,
1: so you know, what is the creative process for you when writing a pr- writing a play or like okay, how how do you start? This is this is overwhelming to me. So how do you how do you start? Do yeah. you just get a character in your head and go or
2: I mean to be honest, for me it's probably different for every project. Um, oh, some okay. projects like the first one Annabelle showed up and like literally she wouldn't leave me alone and so I kind of had to follow oh. her and see
1: Like you what heard her in your along. head?
2: Oh, completely. Whoa. And she had many things to say and okay. she and she wouldn't leave me alone. I kept trying to go back to my solo show and she would have nothing to do with that. Like it was like, No, no, you need to be writing this. Oh. So I I eventually followed her story and it was about her and she's not the protagonist in the play. Um, it's somebody else, which is fascinating that she is the one, but she's the bossiest person in the play. So it makes sense that she's the one who's like, <laughs> This is what you're doing. But like in Magpie and other ones, sometimes they're just things that I need to process. Um writer's block. I don't. I think it was a prompt. I think I had to write something for a group I was in and we had okay. like, you know, yeah. 10 days. I was just at the National Playwright Symposium and Marsha Norman gave us a prompt and we had to write a 10 minute play in less than I think eight hours. It was kind of an overnight assignment. Wow. So, and I have a great play that came out of that. And you know, it needs work, but right. that kind of pressure actually worked well. And that was from a prompt she gave us, you know, you had to write uh, something that happened within the last I think it was 10 years, that was terrifying to you in some way.
0: Oh. Wow, that's a great prompt. I <laughs> my brain just <laughs> <Yeah. there. laughs> i got to steal that one yeah, from up, right? <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: and it was challenging. And, and many people, some people pulled old work, and some people, you just said, you know, I wrote, I had so many starts because I couldn't, and I was just like, just choose which way you're going. Like, are you going with a physical terrifying thing? Or are you going with an emotional terrifying thing? Like, I had to pick my my in uh-huh. and where... One of my favorite things ever, I had a store, uh, uh, like a storytelling teacher, I guess you would say, he, uh-huh. he did Live Lit in Chicago, who told me, you can't share anything you haven't processed. Like That's the important thing with an audience, right? Because if you're a storyteller and you're standing on stage and you haven't processed it, the audience is now worried about you. So that's not good. So it, with that particular assignment from Marsha Norman, I thought, I have to choose something that I have processed. Because otherwise, when you were t- talking about something terrifying, that that's hard to write. Because, right, yeah. Because. So I was like, what What was terrifying, but that I, you know, worked through. So that's, I finally found my way in that way. But I kind of had to, I am a coach in real life, so I had to kind of coach myself through it.
1: Okay, wow. well, that's interesting because, you y- like, so that, okay, it has to be something that you processed, right? And then with grief i mean i feel like you're constantly like you don't ever stop processing i'm I'm, i don't know if that's true do you stop processing grief do you not is it i don't
2: i don't think you do but i think i I mean another way of saying that would probably be you know when you're writing something you have to be well and this came again from a storytelling teacher so it was about yourself performing okay yeah um but i think it can't be raw you know, to share something mm. that you wrote about grief the next day from when it happened would probably be too much to hear it on stage or see it like it, it, it probably wouldn't be a great thing. You need a little yeah. time and space. So you even know what you think about it.
1: You said, right? I mean, that's yeah. part of process. Right. No. So um, a couple minutes ago in this conversation, you said something that I love, which I actually am trying to like write it down while she's talking. But you said you have to anchor to yourself. And I love that. I, I mean, I really feel, I'm deep in a grieving stage right now, and I just really I feel that. And so you guys when yeah, I'm
2: sorry, I heard about your father. I'm sorry.
1: For oh, loss. Yeah. thank you. Um, but you guys, when we have people on the show, we ask them to just fill out some basic bullet points so, that, you know, so that we can channel the conversation. Right. And um laura provided us with this quote well i don't even know if you meant to make it a quote you were just filling it out but it was so good i'm gonna print it out and put it on my wall so i'm gonna read it for you guys so she said when one is shattered into a million pieces finding claiming and reconnecting your whole self is a slow process constructing a play is a similar journey instead of finding you create each component identify it and question how it fits or connects to the whole and so in other terms anchoring to yourself also, do you always yeah. write this poetically? Like, is that just like the thing of being a playwright? Because Elizabeth <laughs> does the same thing. She'll like text me back something poetic. And <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm what? Like, what? Well, like, how was that so eloquent?
2: <laughs> no, not at all. That is actually from my artist statement. But I, and I worked really hard to try to explain. I'm a trauma really? survivor as okay. well as a grief survivor. So
1: yep. trying to
2: find a way of saying, I don't think, I mean, many people know trauma, but some people don't know trauma at all. And trying to mm-hmm. explain to them what that's like and how hard it is to learn to even figure out who you are, you know, because you're, you're always kind of seeing yourself through this lens of trauma Uh or told you were that kind of thing. So that, that, it took me a long time to get there, but that came from, I'm somebody who likes to decoupage and I was actually decoupaging and it was in that moment that I realized, oh my gosh, like, this is why I like to decoupage because it's all of these pieces that seemingly have nothing to do together that you eventually bring together to create a whole. Exactly. And that's how I feel as a person, <laughs> is that I'm constantly picking wow. up pieces and being inspired by people like Elizabeth and other writers that I find and meet who who don't judge me and who who see me, or at least a part of me for who I am in that mm-hmm. moment. Plus, as we already said, like I was a dancer, so here's this part that most people don't know that is actually a part of me yeah. that I still have to carry and honor. So... Yeah, I'm really kind of fascinated in that that visual of it. I guess
0: I love speaking of visuals. I love the optic that I get from decoupage. I haven't done that since I was like a teenager, but now when you mention it, it's like putting your shattered pieces back together. Totally. That is just. so, I think I'm going to take up. Okay, if my sister's listening to this, don't start laughing. <laughs>
1: She knows I'm <laughs> slightly
0: craft impaired, but I yeah. may take up decoupage again because there are certain things that that would really be helpful to to do mm-hmm. to physically do. We, that could, we physical could hold reason. we could
1: hold a live session with my four-year-old, and he can lead it.
0: Oh, okay. So well, that would be a good one. He's
1: but, right up that alley. Yeah. Oh,
0: good. Um, well, maybe Laura, you can you <laughs> can do yeah. a session with us too on how to decoupage for. Oh, but that's really a fabulous um, <laughs> fabulous idea. I just love that as a way to deal with grief or, or just your shattered pieces of yourself. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. When you were talking just now, uh, I don't know if you saw the the Tony mm. Awards. Um, I did because we had friends in winning awards this year. So that was really, well, exciting. really exciting. Shout out to all the folks at, at Company, particularly our good friend, Mary Davis. Mm. But The thing that I, that when you were talking that made me think of the Tony Awards was Deidre O'Donnell won for her performance in Dana H and I have not seen the performance, but what I loved about Deidre's Oscar Tony acceptance piece was she basically said, make weird art.
1: I love that. And I just said, thank you. I've
2: heard that quote everywhere. Yes.
0: It's just thank you, because I think our listeners out there might might be going, well, I can't write or I can't yeah. do a play or whatever. But but it, what is it? Make it make it yours, and if it's weird, that's okay. You know. So um, and Laura's case, of course, she takes that weird art and makes it something really magical that she can share with other people. But it's okay not to share your, your art.
2: Um, Oh, absolutely. And I I would say, like I said, like in my other life, I'm a life coach, so I would always say everything should be for yourself first. And if you're not doing it for yourself, why are you doing it? Because, Because art is, you know, to make art just to share doesn't totally make sense. It has to come through you. It has to be important. You have to be passionate about it. There has to be a reason that you're connected to what you're doing.
1: Right. I think it's interesting, like, even artists need an outlet in a way right and when you're an artist and that's your full-time thing like i do this marketing with greek dialogues but i also am a graphic design artist and so i love doing it but then at some point it becomes work and i need to step away and do something different to express myself and you just find quirky things right and weirdly my quirky thing is food super weird and random but yours is deco is that what that is? Yeah, oh yeah, I definitely
2: <laughs> do that. I, I what love else? to journal. I love to paint. Ooh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I still, you know, crochet. I do all those things that my grandmother taught me how to do. I don't do them a lot. You're I, hands on. I, I you're, like you're very much. I'm very a tactile person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm visual. It's interesting you say that about graphic design, because for me, in playwriting, and almost anything I do, the visual comes first. Yeah. So I play on, like, Canva and other places. I always get oh, yeah. an image for whatever I'm working on, just for me. <clears throat> yeah. You know, not necessarily anybody's ever going to see, but I, I like that part of the Well, process. it's stimulating,
1: right? Like it, like it, mm-hmm, I get it.
2: And it solidifies yeah. the idea. You, you, and it gives you a touchstone that you can always come back to. It's like a or a litmus test, right? Like your goal yes. like, is what I'm creating, responding to this image. Yeah. So there's something there for me. And I never knew... I was a visual person, which is, I mean, when you talk about writing, right, and people not, and people thinking, oh, you're just a playwright, oh, you, I don't know, you (laughs) know how to just write something completely. It's like, it took me a long time because I never knew I was a visual person. And that was a part of my process.
1: I mean, I can see it, right? When you're writing a play, literally. You have to, yeah, I can (laughs) see it literally. When you're writing a play, right, don't you have to kind of, I don't, I don't write plays, but both of you can chime in on this. Do you see it being acted in your head? Like, do you see, do you see it as you're writing it? I mean,
2: ha- I do sometimes, and I think, I think this is different. I mean, Elizabeth, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's different for every playwright. I mean, that's the thing that's amazing to me about the creative process, right. is there is no right yeah. and wrong. That's Everybody correct. has their own creative process. Mm-hmm. And I think for many different projects, it's a different process. It, it's all about how the pro the project speaks to you, and how you find your way in. So I think sometimes I'm very visual. i'm not, I mean, I'm always visual and like needing that image. Right. But sometimes I see actors, you know, and sometimes I don't. sometimes I hear an actor I know in my head just because their voice is so perfect for a role that they help me write it in a way yeah. hearing their voice.
0: Mm. What about you? Well, for me, that's that's interesting. I was just sort of writing the story mm-hmm. first, which actually one of our and one of our teachers said, just get the story out. I remember, but I was doing that originally, and then I actually produced a few plays, uh, one one of my own, but then a bunch of I did a women's playwright festival and so forth, so other people's play, and then so then I was more in the how can this be staged mode. Oh, so in a way oh. that that informed my creative process might have stifled it a bit. Because I was thinking, how does this character look on stage as opposed to there's so uh, many really?: layers. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of layers. And then, and then I wanted to make it producible, and as Laura knows, you know, I can't have all the bells and whistles because it's expensive, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that also kind of hampered it as far as creating a work of art that I wanted to share with other people. But I love your, love your comment first, do it for yourself. Mm. And that's something I need to get back to because right now I seem to be much more into a production mode and not into a a self mode. And so point well taken. Thank you.
2: Well, I've been telling myself because I've been doing these very large submissions lately because, you know, I want, I definitely want to get my work produced and developed, but I also constantly am saying that to myself. (sighs) Like you have to do this for you and this is beautiful and I love what you're doing and it's great. And if they don't, Somebody doesn't pick it up, it's just not the right fit, you know? So I think there are, for all artists there has to be a lot of self care in that way. Mm. That you because once I mean you're absolutely right, with production it's a different thing. And we always have to remind ourselves that we're doing this for us. It is art, it is for the world. And we and now, I mean, it's such a different world. We can share anything, right? So we don't mm-hmm. need producers, we don't need anything. We can literally just put it online ourselves and give people and read it and put it out there if we need to. And that and it's important to remember that, not that I mean, I do want to work in you know, a certain level of theater, right. but it's important to remember that, that we do have agency because sometimes in theater you can feel very powerless and that you're waiting for somebody else to make it happen.
0: Exact- excellent point. A super good point, especially with, uh, with grief dialogues and with our listeners, is that you don't have to wait. If you're processing grief and you want to write something, you want to paint something, you want to doodle something, you don't have to wait for someone else that's right. to like it to appreciate it no. to give you time um you know if you if you if you're driving along and you have what one of our former podcast members called uh, a grief burst sometimes you just <laughs> need to pull over okay. cry it out draw it out talk it out absolutely and and that is a form of uh, that's a form of art and if you can share it someday great and if it just for yourself that's great too very important. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Okay. So you said major submissions. You guys, Laura was one of 17 playwrights chosen to attend the National Playwrights Symposium at Cape May Stage. And was Magpie yes. in that?
2: Um, I believe ma- I- Uh, To be honest, I don't remember because I do so many submissions, but I believe it wasn't performed, but I think that's what I submitted.
1: Okay, so let me... Because you
2: have to submit things for them to be chosen.
1: Right. Oh, oh, see, okay. So I have the synopsis here of Magpie. So Magpie is a story of identity transformation and sacrifice. With the support of her therapist, Maggie is beginning to claim her own story. Risking her troubled relationship with her mother, she searches to learn more about the father she doesn't know. But can she summon the strength to find the one thing she needs the most herself I love that Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so I so magpie is what we I mean when when Elizabeth sent me some of your work she was like check out magpie this is really cool so um I quickly or I don't want to say quickly because I don't I don't want you to rush but tell me more about magpie or tell our listeners more about magpie yeah
2: well magpie is inspired by my own story that's where it started okay and it was a very challenging play to write because- It's about um, yourself. I, it's about myself. It's about my relationship with my mother, mm. um, my father who is deceased. So, and, and now, now it is a play. It is no longer really my story, but it started. I mean, yeah. that was where I started. And so the process of it was it, it was a real challenge. It was a short play. Yeah. It got a little notice. I think it, it was a semifinals and some something, which led me to then be able to get a playwright in residency. And you know, when you when you start and you're new, I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I oh, get yeah. all this oh, yeah. feedback from people about, oh, this is a cute story or this is a nice yeah. story, but it's not a play. Mm. And that was really the fact that it was personal made all of the feedback a thousand times harder and worse because I I took it all personally. Of course, right. One person right. actually said, the, the lead character's name is Maggie, and one person said, oh, she's so whiny. And I was like, oh, like that felt like... like you're like, oh, I'm not. not. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. So I eventually um, hired an old writing teacher of mine to help me just, you know, kind of, for me to be able to say, this is what I'm trying to do, and her go, okay, well, that's not on the page. <laughs> yeah. So if this is what you're trying to do, you know, how do you do that? Okay. So then I, then I got in great shape, and... I, I was very fortunate because during the pandemic, a publisher read it and offered to publish it. And I, I wow. kind of freaked out because usually you don't publish a play unless it's had production. And I was like, should I do it? Should I freak out? It. So <gasps> I talked Yay. to several, you know, Gary Garrison at DGI, Elizabeth. And uh-huh. then I actually reached out to uh, Lauren Gunderson, who is like one of my favorite playwrights. And uh-huh. she was kind enough to write me back. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she oh my she goodness. had never, you know, she had never published without, you know, Doing a production, but obviously we're in a weird time. And as long as I could get the the um, the publisher to kind of put a little piece in my contract that when I do get productions, if I want to tweak some things, that he would let me change, then why not? So.
1: So you I did, did. It.
2: and that's, yeah. So that so that's exciting, and it's going to have its word we, world premiere um, this fall. I'm actually <gasps> directing it here in Connecticut. What? Um, Ooh. Which is a little crazy and a little meta and a little everything. <laughs>
0: <But> <laughs> when When is it going to be, you, Laura? When
2: It is September 9th, 10th, and 11th.
0: Okay. okay.
2: In Connecticut. And I will tell you that last summer it won, I don't know, a stage reading for um, for a theater here in Connecticut. And that is the moment that it really became a play. And I, I sat in the theater listening to actors. Mm-hmm. This particular scene, which is a fight between Mom and Maggie. And... It just was, you know, to hear that over and over, was just, I don't know, it was very healing in some ways with the grief, but I actually felt my mother at one point. Mm. And it was so cool because I had worked so hard yeah. to make both characters whole and full. And even though I don't totally understand my mother, I feel like through the play, I understand her, whether that's really what her reasoning was or not. You know what I mean? Like right. through writing that character and trying to make it a whole character, it somehow helped me find
0: some solace in things that I hadn't before. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. Um, I, I just love that. I Just one little aside of the play that, that uh, I'm working on, have been working on for a number of years, but when I gave it to, uh, actually to an artistic director who's very interested in it, mm-hmm. he said to me, oh, that Lucy character, such a bitch, excuse my language, and I wanted to say I am not, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I held back. Anyway, so we uh. um, we just really appreciate your time today, Laura, and one of the things we do ask our guests is to share maybe a, a bit of wisdom or a suggestion that our readers who may not be artistically inclined or are artistically inclined, what, what can they do to help process, like, what can, what kind of, suggestion do you have to help them process their grief through art
2: yeah that's a great i mean for me i think i always go to journaling and not in the sense of just writing journaling but doodling I doodle. writing words yeah. i'm really big yeah and i'm really big on like i call it word art where you just start with a word and you just kind of let the words lead you and uh-huh. you're just putting them randomly and maybe putting them in circles or putting them in squares and using different colored markers because it just, and you can fill a whole page doing that. Yeah. And it, it doesn't seem like you're doing anything. And then when it's done, there's like this message that presents itself to you, wow. from you. It's like beautiful. So for me, I think journaling is always very special because it's safe and it's yours. And I am very much of the belief that when we're processing grief, it needs to be yours first before you mm. choose who to share it with. You know, to it needs to be
1: yours first before you choose who to share it with. I love that. That's okay, writing really, it down. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a I really don't, good. Not, at least in my experience,
2: not everyone is emotionally safe to share grief with.
1: That is so true.
0: Right, you know, right. That That is true. And, um, yeah, there's so much to unpack there. I know when I personally, when I started writing this play in order to process my grief, I mm-hmm. um, I did. I, you're right. I didn't. I've kind of forgotten that part because I've kind of gone so public that it isn't always safe to to share it when when it's so fresh and in your mind too. So that's an excellent point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, well, and
2: I will say I think everyone has good intentions, but right. you know right. Sometimes when you're that raw, you need a specific type of response, feedback, witnessing. You know, there are there are things that we need, right. and not everyone is capable of just. I find in general as a life goes, not everybody's capable of sitting in our pain with us. That takes mm-hmm. a special person who is not trying to fix you, who is not trying to make things go away, who is willing to literally witness you and be with you where you are.
1: So I have this thing with my best friends um, where when, I mean, we call each other and vent and dump all the time, right? Like that's how it goes. But but when it's something really heavy, I'll say, hey, I really need to talk or I really need to vent. Are you at a, do you have a mental capacity for my BS right now. And it's like her chance to say, not really. Yeah. <laughs> and with love and yeah. I, and I'm not upset or for her to be like, yeah, I can take it on right now. And I think that's really important because mm-hmm. everybody's going through their own stuff. And you never know. I mean, I Good also point. have something called the witching hour that all my friends know of, which is like, my mom actually coined that phrase. The witching hour is when it's just, if you have kids, you know it. It's like, for me, 637 to 715 at night where they're like chaos bath time dinner my husband's asking me questions the dog is doing like you know just like it's just the witching hour right Mm -hmm. and sometimes my friend will call me and she'll be like I really need to talk to someone do you have the mental capacity and I have to be like no because it's (laughs) witching hour I just like I just can't actually give you my attention or sit with you so I mean I just think it's an important
0: and and just you know you don't even have to have children okay i've noticed I've no- <laughs> i know i i know exactly what the witching hour is when it comes to children but i've noticed that there's just there's just certain hours in the day when i am better at, at dealing with other people and helping other people or even being a good <coughs> listener and other hours when i'm you know i'm good at it yeah hours that i'm not but uh, anyway yeah so thank you so much laura this was fantastic we can't wait to Get, make sure you send us all the stuff about the show in the September. Um, we're actually going to be back east, but it won't be till the latter part of September. But we want to know all about this and put it out there and, and so forth. And um, I do hope to see you again in a class, but I'm taking the summer off, too. So I don't blame you. So congrats. Oh, and um, in 30 seconds or less, can you t- tell us a little bit about the, your film?
2: Oh, oh, my gosh, yes. Basically, short... Long story short, is it was a monologue. I wrote a series of monologues during the pandemic because uh-huh. because I was sheltering in place. And I had a friend in um, California who I never get to work with. And I was like, hey, will you play with me? And so we got on Zoom and we recorded them. And a friend of mine said, you should submit that for a short, pla- I mean, a short film. And I was like, it's, it's not a film. Like it was filmed over Zoom. Like, it was yeah. right. yeah. like, do it. And it has done quite well, wow. which is what? amazing to me. I he, saw
0: you but, won yeah. awards. Is it is it available yeah. for people to see?
2: It is absolutely. It's on my website, and which is um, lauratomaplaywright.com. dot uh-huh. And yes.
0: Well, great. When we when we publish this uh, this podcast, we will be sure to put absolutely. the link because I want to. I haven't seen it, and I got to see that that film for sure. So, finally, my dear, such an honor to see you here, thank and you. we will talk again real soon. Thanks and to so much, all our listeners. Thank you. thank you for tuning in to Out of Grief
1: Comes Art, and we'll see you next week. Thanks all. <laughs> Bye.